0: Good to see you all this morning. For those of you that I haven't met, I hope I will have the chance to meet you afterwards while we're enjoying our hot dogs. You can have a real one, and I'll have a veggie one, and we'll enjoy that time together. <laughs> um, we're in the middle of a sermon series about prayer. We've called it Let's Talk, and that's supposed to be God speaking to us, saying, Let's talk. Come and talk to me. I want to know you, I want you to know me. And so we've been looking at the prayers of Jesus. And we started off with the foundation that addressing God as our Abba, which in Aramaic means our dad, is what Jesus did. Jesus called God his Abba Father. And so we recognize in prayer that we're talking to our good father who loves us as his sons and daughters. So when we pray, we can come to God with that same attitude of love and respect that we would have in a parent-child relationship. And then we've looked at Jesus teaching that he assures us that we will be heard when we pray. He teaches us the Lord's Prayer that guides us in what we should pray for. He told us to pray privately, not for show, and he modeled that in his own life. He taught us to pray sincerely for our enemies rather than hating them. He prayed when he was in great distress and submitted himself to God's will for his life, even though it was painful. And he also prayed in joy, because the love of God filled up his heart to overflowing. And so that's where we've been, and if any of that sounds intriguing to you and you missed some of those messages, they're all on our website, whiterockbaptist.ca, and you can watch those previous messages about prayer. Today's topic is praying with confidence, and we're gonna be looking at the end of John 17, um, some of what we read last week and then a little bit further on. So if you're anything like me, that phrase praying with confidence, it might sound a little bit cringy at first. It might bring to mind some some images or some uh, experiences in the past that you kind of go, ooh, what what does that mean, praying with confidence? You might imagine a church leader giving a guilt trip and saying, well, if you just had prayed with more faith, you would have received what you asked for. essentially saying the problem's with you, and that you just have to believe harder, and if you're not absolutely sure that God's going to give you what you asked for, then you're not doing it right. That is not what we're talking about. That is not how Jesus taught us to pray. You might also imagine that praying with confidence, excuse me, it might mean something like this idea of manifesting your desires. I don't know if you've heard this. This is a popular idea that I've seen floating around on the internet, especially in women's magazines. It's based on a book called The Secret from 2006, basically saying that we have the power to create any life that we want. And so it's kind of the epitome of that saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. This is a quote from an article on Oprah's website, which says, how to manifest anything you desire. Essentially, manifestation is bringing something tangible into your life through attraction and belief, i.e., if you think it, it will come. However, there's more to manifestation than willpower and positive thinking. Uh, As Angelina Lombardo, the author of Spiritual Entrepreneur says, manifesting is making everything you want to feel and experience a reality via your thoughts, actions, beliefs, and emotions. I wanna be very clear that that's not how Jesus teaches us to pray either. We're not coming to God with our plan for our lives and asking him to make it happen. God is not our genie here to fulfill our wishes. It's actually the complete opposite because we are God's servants and we're here on earth to fulfill his wishes. So in prayer, we're actually asking him to show us what his plan is for us and for his help and his strength in living the life that he gives us, even when it includes suffering and difficult circumstances. So this is what it's not. Praying with confidence is not trying to manifest what we want, and it's not demanding things from God in faith. Jesus taught that in prayer, we submit ourselves completely. We submit everything we want to God's will. We don't pray pridefully or presumptuously, we don't try to be the boss of God, and we can't force God to do what we want by any special formula, whether it's with the words that we use, or the number of people that we get praying for the same thing, or the amount of faith that we have. None of that is gonna change God's mind. We need to be humble and admit that we don't know God's plan in every situation. He's allowed to say no to us, because he's God and we're not. So, with all, that, all those disclaimers out of the way then, what does it mean to pray with confidence? Because Jesus did pray with confidence, and we're to pray the way Jesus prayed. So what does it really mean? We're going to look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, verses 20 to 26. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he was arrested and crucified. This is his final conversation with God before he went to the cross. He's just finished praying for his disciples, the people who were right there with him. And then he actually prays for us. Um, it's the title in a lot of Bibles says, Jesus prays for all believers. And we read some of this last week, but not all of it. So we're going to start in um, chapter 17, verse 20. And you can look it up in your Bible. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you or you're on your Bible app on your phone. And then it's on screen behind me as well. So this is Jesus' prayer for us. My prayer is not for them alone, that's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So let's try and wrap our minds around this. Jesus, on the night that he's going to die at the hands of humanity, prays for future Christians to be unified with him and with the Father and with each other so that the world will believe in him. He prays for us to be with him and see his glory and that his love will be in us and that he himself will be in us. And he prayed this even though at that moment we didn't exist. That's some confidence. The church didn't exist. He only had these 12 disciples who were rather questionable. One of them had already betrayed him. The rest he knew were going to run off and desert him as soon as he got arrested. He knew all that, but he prayed for this, for the church that didn't exist yet, in spite of the circumstances that were going on around him. He had complete confidence in what he knew to be the will of God, no matter how impossible it seemed at that moment. So how could he pray like this? How could he pray with confidence like that? Well, there's two reasons which are right there in his prayer. The first thing is that he knew God, and the second one is that he knew God's will. So I'm going to try and unpack that a little bit for us. He knew God. Jesus says in verse 21 that he's one with the Father, that God is in him and he is in God. And in verse 25, he says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you. What does it mean to know someone so intimately that you're part of them and they're part of you? The closest thing we have to that on earth is the relationship between spouses. We have couples at our church who've been married for over 70 years, if you can believe that. And that's a whole human lifetime on average. If one of those wives were to say about her husband, I know him, what does she mean? She means she knows how he thinks, how he acts, what he loves, what he hates. She knows what motivates him, she knows all of his past and can pretty accurately predict what he's gonna do in the future. She understands him at the deepest possible level. And that's a picture of the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his Father, but even more so because they're not two wholly separate individuals like two spouses. They're one in substance along with the Holy Spirit. And they've been together forever and ever, 70 years times infinity, because God is a community of three. This, is, this blows our minds. I'm gonna try to sort of explain it, but I know it doesn't make sense because how does three equal one and one equal three? I don't really know, but this is what the scriptures teach us, that God is a trinity and each one is separate and yet each are part of each other in a way that we can't explain. And they share the same will, we might say they share the same heart, but they don't always play the same roles in their interactions with us. And so even though Jesus, the second person in that trinity, voluntarily chose to become a human being and limit himself to a human body and brain, He was still 100% God, and he knew God the Father in a way that no one else besides the Holy Spirit could. But this is the incredible thing about Jesus' prayer, though, is that he wants us to be part of that relationship that he has with God, that he's inviting us to be one with God and filled by God and share God's heart in a similar way that he does. We're invited into God's innermost circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus' prayer for us, he says, may they also be in us. So think about what that means, to exist in God. And then he says that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me. If Jesus is within us, living in us through the Holy Spirit, then we can also say that we know God. Or at least we can say we're getting to know God, right? through scripture, prayer, community with other believers, the Holy Spirit reveals to us who God is, little by little, only as much as we can understand at the time. So I don't know a lot of things. There was a little boy at camp this week who kept asking for harder math questions, and I said, I am so sorry, but you're already doing math that I don't understand. (laughs) I don't know a lot of things, but I know God a little bit. I know God is love, I know God is good. I know God is powerful. And I know those things, not because I memorized those things as facts, but because I've experienced those things. God has been good to me. God has loved me. God has shown power in my life to transform me and my circumstances. And so I'm getting to know him more and more every day as I pray and see how he answers. So this is my point. All of that stuff about the Trinity, everything, it's all coming to a point, I promise. In order to pray with confidence the way that Jesus did, the first thing we need to do is remember who it is that we're talking to. We need to know God in order to have confidence in prayer. And I think this is why Jesus starts his example prayer, the Lord's Prayer, by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing we do in prayer is we recognize who God is. We think about His character, and we worship Him. If we're not sure about who God is, we need to study and meditate on Scripture to find out. But if we know God, even a little bit, and we have God's Spirit within us, then we're going to trust God the way that we would trust a good father or we would trust a loving spouse. But even more so, all of our prayers would be based on this firm foundation of absolute confidence in him and in his love for us. We'd believe all of his promises in scripture then, but he's working all things for our good in every circumstance, that he's gonna be with us no matter what happens. So our confidence in prayer, our faith in prayer, is based entirely on who God is, not on believing we're gonna get what we want. This is a big mind shift. When we talk about having faith in prayer, we assume it's faith in the thing happening. No, it's faith in who God is, so that we can rest assured that all things are under control, no matter what happens, because he's God, he's the almighty creator, and he knows what he's doing. And so if the things around us seem out of control, and we're stressed, and we're anxious, or we're angry, or we're despairing, then our first prayer should not be that God fix this situation, but that God fix us to see what God is doing in that situation, to see what is the opportunity that God is presenting us with here to bring something good out of this mess. How does he want us to be involved? That's how we need to be praying. And it's a completely different way than how we usually pray, which is kind of like this, dear God, please fix this problem. Help that person. Give me that. Amen. And then we go on with the rest of our day. Right? That's what we do. We have a problem and we go, God, fix the problem. It's like saying, God, you don't seem to know what's happening down here. So let me give you a little summary and tell you what you should do to fix it. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are laughing, right? We laugh. We got to laugh at ourselves. We've all prayed this way. I've prayed this way probably yesterday. So but I realize it's, it's, it doesn't make sense because God knows what happens. He knows what is happening. And ultimately, nothing is going wrong because he's known everything that would happen since before he created the world. And all these events of the past and of the future are already accounted for and worked into his plan somehow. Even those evil and terrible events are going to be redeemed. And so we bring our requests to God in prayer, so that he can show us what he wants us to do in these situations because we know him and we're filled with his spirit. It's through us, his sons and daughters, the church, that he wants to show his love to the world. So it's, it's less of God fix the problem and God, how do you want me to help fix this problem? We come to God in confidence that he has a plan and it's a plan in progress and it's a good plan and we just don't understand it yet. If we th- this, is, this thought came to me this week that blew my mind. The way things are right now is exactly the way they need to be for God's plan to unfold. Everything's set up for God's perfect will to be accomplished in the future, for his kingdom to come. We know it's going to come. And all of this is going to be the history that led up to it. And so often, when we pray for God to change things and make them different than they are, he says no, because we're not praying in line with his plan. Usually we just want things easier and more comfortable for us, right? We don't like the circumstances we're in. We don't want the circumstances we're in. And so we're praying that they would be different. But God is writing this incredible story in each of our lives and in the whole history of the world. And every exciting story has drama and conflict and pain before it gets to the resolution, right? Those of you who took English literature, know how a story goes. And we're all in one. We're in God's story. And so we're going to have hard times. And we can pray confidently during those times, not necessarily that they be taken away, but that those circumstances be used by God and woven into his plan and that we would see that happening. So someone might say to me, well, if we're not praying for God to fix things, then why should we pray at all? The whole purpose of prayer is summed up for us in verse 24 of Jesus' prayer. Pay attention right here. This is, if you don't hear anything else, just hear this verse, okay? This is Jesus' heart's desire for us. He says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. To be with Jesus and see his glory. That's the purpose of prayer. That's why we pray. So the purpose of praying is not primarily to get what we want from God, it's to be with Jesus and try to see His glory. And it's through prayer that we talk to Jesus, we find more peace, just being in His presence. And slowly, bit by bit, He opens our eyes to see the glory of His plans for the world and specifically the glory of His plans in our life and in the lives of the people around us, how we can join Him in those plans. Our confidence in prayer is in who God is, and Jesus shows us here that God is a God who wants us to know him, who wants to live within us, who wants to work through us in the world so more people will come to believe him and know him. Jesus knew the Father, and he saw God's glorious plans all around him, even while he was being betrayed and crucified. In those worst moments of his life, he could say, thy will be done, because he saw it was gonna lead to something good. And so we pray so that we'll know God and be able to see his glory in our lives as well, especially during those painful times. It's all about having a relationship with God as our loving Father and joining him in his work. So Jesus prayed with confidence because he knew God. But secondly, he prayed with confidence because he knew God's will. He could pray for God's will to be done trusting in faith that by God's timing and God's way, it was going to happen. Remember, Jesus was praying for our relationship with the Father before we even existed. And he prays for the whole world to come to know him because he knows that's God's will. So at the end of verse 23, he says, then the whole world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So basically he's saying, I'm praying all this About unity and about these future Christians, I'm praying this because it's going to contribute to your plan. Your will is to demonstrate your love through me to the world, so unify those future believers with me so that they'll be able to represent me well. That kind of confidence in prayer is what we're called to. Praying that the will of God be done, even when it hasn't happened yet and it seems impossible. And so, scripture teaches us what God's will is, it doesn't leave us. Uh, up the river without a paddle or whatever they say, right? He tells us what we should pray for. And I have five examples for you, which we're gonna put on screen. There's more than this. The scriptures are full of what God's will is for his people, but we know, for instance, that God wants to save all people. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if you know a person Any person who isn't a believer, you can be confident that it is God's will for you to pray for that person and work towards that person being saved. And if you yourself are not yet a follower of Jesus, then you can pray that God will reveal himself to you, and you can read his words in Scripture and really start considering the truths that Jesus teaches so that you can trust him. Number two, God wants to give wisdom to those who need it. In the book of James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So it is God's will for you to be wise and to make good decisions in your life. He promises to give you the wisdom that you need so you can ask for that confidently. Number three, we know God wants to give us victory over sin and temptation. In 1 Corinthians, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Basically, we're all in the same boat, we all sin, we all get tempted to do the wrong thing. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a promise. There will be a way out. So you can pray confidently in the midst of a struggle with sin, whatever that is, whether it's complaining or lying or lustful thoughts or anger, whatever the sin is that you're struggling with, you can look for the way out and ask God for the grace to overcome it, and he will do it. Number four, we know God wants to transform individuals and communities to be like Christ. In Romans, he says, for those God foreknew, That's all of us, right? God, Jesus, he foreknew all of us would be followers of him. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're called Christians because we're supposed to be little Christs, people who act and think and love the way that Jesus did. And so God is using everything that happens to us to transform us more and more into his likeness. So we can pray for each other. We need to pray for each other, that we won't resist that process, because we have have free will. We can choose to cooperate with God's transformation of our hearts, or we can resist it and do our own thing. And so we need to pray that we'll all surrender to him. And number five, my last example, is that God wants us to unify the church for one mission. Jesus prayed for his followers to be brought to complete unity in what they were doing so that the world would know him. We're united for God's purpose, and Jesus commands exactly what that purpose is in the end of Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So these are the things God wants. This is what we should be praying for. This should be the bulk of our prayers. And we pray these things with confidence because we know they're what God wants. And we know his kingdom will come because it already began with Jesus' resurrection from the dead. God is going to finish what he started. That's an amen moment. (laughs) We should pray these kinds of prayers knowing without a doubt that God is going to answer us. And so you might ask me, well, okay, we're praying for God's will, we know it's what God wants, we know it's gonna happen, why pray for something to be done anyways whether, it's gonna happen whether we pray for it or not, right? It's God's will, so what's the point? Well, yes and no. There, there is something mysterious about prayer. God chooses to act in response to his people's prayers. It's not that he can't act if we don't pray, he can do whatever he wants, but he's told us in scripture, he wants us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's also told us that the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. They matter. They do something. There is power in prayer that we don't understand. And so God is making us real participants in bringing about his kingdom on earth. His will happening happens in part because of our prayers. And so... For our own sake, we also need to pray God's will because we're in this spiritual battle every day. We can choose God's will, we can choose our own will. We can do what God wants or we can do what we want. We can act like Christ or we can act sinfully and hurt other people. But prayer is how we're gonna get our will, our desires, to line up with God's will, what He wants. And so that we actually start to desire what God desires. And that's why we sing songs that have lines like, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Not because we like to be sad, but because we're saying we want to feel what God feels. We want to want what he wants. And there's so much joy in having God's heart for the world because we're going to get to see answers to our prayers, right? We're going to see how he's changing people and circumstances to be more like the kingdom of God. When we see people being changed by Jesus and getting baptized and teenagers professing their faith in God and serving in his church, we rejoice because we're seeing the answers to our prayers. So I'm going to stop here and share something with you on a more personal level. As I was wrestling with this sermon the last couple weeks, and I'm going to use the word wrestling very seriously, I really had a hard time trying to wrap my mind around this one. I have been really challenged in my own prayer life. I've been realizing how rarely I actually spend significant time praying for the will of God to be done in those five areas that I just told you about. Things that I know God wants and I know he wants us to pray for. My literal job as one of your pastors is to pray for you, and I do. But so much of my prayer is like lists, you know? It's... Lists of people who are sick, people who are grieving, people who are traveling, lists of events, right? Our kids' camp, our fundraisers, our life groups coming up this fall. I'm praying for all these items and I'm missing kind of the bigger picture, right? Of what God wants to do in all of those little bits and pieces of people's lives, right? So from a cosmic perspective, I've been praying for kind of some ridiculously tiny little things. Those are not bad prayers. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. God in his mercy cares about every single detail of our lives, right? But as I've prepared for this sermon, I've realized that God is calling me to think and to pray much bigger prayers from a much bigger perspective of what he's doing. I want to be able to pray these kingdom-focused prayers the way Jesus did. Prayers that focus on the will of God being done on earth. Or else I think I might miss the point of prayer entirely. I don't want to end up like the Pharisees. They were the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they tithed their spices down to the last little leaf or seed, but they didn't show God's love to people. And Jesus said they should have done all that tithing without neglecting the bigger issues. And I think the same principle can apply in my prayer life. I should pray for those little things without neglecting the big things. So I've been asking myself, why don't I pray for the bigger things? Why don't I pray more often and more fervently that every single person in this church will be saved, that they will have God's wisdom in every single decision that, th- that you make, that you would be victorious over sin in your life and temptation, that you would each be transformed into the likeness of Christ and be united with God for his mission. That's what's really important. So I don't know why I've been so blind as to not see that that is what we need to pray for, but I confess to you, I haven't been praying for those things the way I should have been or with the kind of confidence that we need to have that Jesus shows us. I think I've been lacking in faith and maybe afraid of disappointment, right? If we pray for big things and then life goes on, we worry, right? Or maybe I've not been believing that anything will really change. I think at times we all get cynical about God's power to actually change the world or even to just change our church or even to just change us. And it feels safer to just ask for small things. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So recently I was praying for a little boy who had had an accident, a bad accident. And I was praying really hard for him that he would not be too severely injured, that the doctors would take good care of him, and that his family would have peace through that crisis. And God mercifully answered those prayers. He is gonna be okay, and his grandma did have peace through that crisis. But I realize now that there was an opportunity there for prayer that I missed. I didn't pray for the unbelieving family members to be saved by seeing God's mercy and protection over that little boy. I didn't pray that this scary event would turn these families' hearts to God and transform them into being more like Christ and make them witnesses who would go out and testify about how good God is. I didn't think to pray for that because in that moment I was just caught up in God, let him be okay. Please let him be okay. Well, now he's okay. And what, was that God's whole purpose? Is that really all God wanted from this situation was just to put things back to how they were? This family has a story that he's writing and that event is part of that story. And so I need to pray in the midst of an accident like that or any other crisis, which God knows are gonna happen. We're not informing him that this terrible thing has happened, he knows. But in the midst of it, we pray that God, this event would be used by God to draw the family further into his will for them. The Bible tells us sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. So as a result of writing this sermon, I'm gonna be changing what I ask God for. I'll keep my lists, I'll pray, I'll still pray for the small details of life, I can't help it, they're important. But first, and even more importantly, I'm gonna start praying for God's will to be done in your lives. I'm gonna remind myself who God is And then I'm going to pray for God's will, because that's the only way Jesus was able to pray with such confidence. And so I want to challenge all of you to join me in this, changing our priorities in prayer so that we don't just pray for our friends who are sick to get better. And we don't just pray for our family to experience happier circumstances. Being happy and healthy is wonderful, but it's not actually the goal of prayer or the goal of life. The goal is to be with Jesus and see his glory, as we already said, and then to help bring God's kingdom on earth. So I know praying like this is scary. It's a big responsibility. And I know it's gonna involve some risk to our faith because we need to develop this ability that Jesus had to hold in tension two very different realities. There was the world as he was experiencing it, which is a mess, right? And the world as we look around and see it is a mess but we also hold this confidence that the world will be one day as God intends it to be. We need to believe that that is really gonna be a reality one day and pray in accordance with that the way Jesus did. Jesus always prayed according to God's will. That is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus told his disciples to pray in his name and you'll often hear me or other people pray and at the end they say in Jesus' name, amen. But praying in Jesus' name is much more than just a way to finish our prayers. It means to pray according to God's will with his divine purposes in mind. To pray what Jesus would pray. That's praying in Jesus' name. So what a powerful question we can ask ourselves when we come to prayer. What would Jesus pray for in this situation? Some of you remember in the 90s we had little bracelets that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? I'm gonna change that to WWJP. What would Jesus pray? So when you're confronted with whatever crisis it is or whatever your day is looking like and you wanna pray, ask yourself, what would Jesus pray right now? I believe if we can ask ourselves that every time we pray, our prayers are gonna be transformed and we're gonna see answers to prayers like we have never seen before. And so I am really excited about this. God is going to revive us, I believe, and take us to new and deeper places with him as a church, places we didn't realize were possible. So I want to pray together with you now that God will open our eyes to see how we can be praying with confidence like this based on who he is and on his will for us as a church. So let's pray. Abba Father, We're so thankful for you. Lord, you're so good to us. Your mercy never fails. Your faithfulness endures forever. You are so patient with us, Lord. Time and time again, we turn away and do our own thing and trust in our own selves. We don't have faith in you, that you are bringing all things in line with your will. We don't have faith that you can even use us. But God, we ask you, open our eyes to see Jesus and his glory. Lord, you're working all around us. And we can be so focused on our own lives and our own problems that we don't see what you're doing. So I just pray you'd lift our heads up, Lord, to take a look around. That we would notice where you're at work this week. How are you saving people? How are you bringing wisdom into people's decisions? Lord, how are you showing us a way out from temptation that we could overcome the sin in our lives? What do we need to do to become more like Christ? And how are we serving in your mission to make disciples? Lord, these are the things that are important that we need to be praying for, and so remind us of them time and time again. And Lord, when we get lost in the details and in our lists of all of the things we're worried about, bring our confidence back to you, Lord. Help us to spend time with you at peace in your presence and just amazed by the glory of what you're doing around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.